Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Another episode of the Scatter Chatter Podcast. I am your boy, Just Ray. Uh, just want to let you know, check us out on the link, comment, share, like, and even I think in the right-hand corner, our producer was telling me in the right corner you can get reminders. Uh, tonight, we're going to kind of get into it, but before we do, the very special guest, uh, Dr. Malini Iyer, uh I'm going to do some T-shirt designs and wanted to dedicate some of the proceeds to causes in India to help with the COVID situation there. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Um, I'll get into the details as we go on about the show. But without further ado, Dr. Malini, or can I just call you Malini? Yes, thank you, Justray, for having me on the show. You can call me Malini. Um, Malini, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's an Indian name, so we pronounce every single vowel in that name, and the emphasis on the A. So yeah, it's Malini. Okay, so uh, Vedic sciences, but inter- tell people who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into the the juicy bits of the the show. Okay. Um, so I'm a scientist by training and profession. I work in the biological sciences and research industry, biotech. Um, but I have, like, several, I must say, dimensions to my personality. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, about a decade ago, got really deep into yoga, meditation, astrology, which also ties into astronomy, and all the Vedic sciences, even Ayurveda. And it helped because I was, I came to the U.S. 14 years ago to pursue higher mm-hmm. education. And mm-hmm. staying away from India, it helped me disconnect from, you know, the culture of the, uh, of the country, the day-to-day social structure, but then mm-hmm. reconnect to spiritual India, the spirituality. So okay. when we talk about Vedic sciences, um, they are the foundation of Indian spirituality or Indian spirit. And it's oh. the longest, yeah, and it's the longest running spiritual tradition on the planet that has been preserved and it has been continued in spite of all the inv- 
invasions, foreign invasions in India, right? Um, and that okay. brings us to ponder how did this survive and why did it even survive? And that okay. also begs the question, you know, what is it that is that is so pervasive through time survived the test time, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's why I've, I've studied it, uh, being in, in a different country than my country of origin. And, um, of course, growing up, I had a lot of lingo and jargon around me and people would talk and I would, like, absorb vicariously, but never, like, consciously think about what I was absorbing. And uh, okay. over the years, I've been able to connect the dots. So when you asked me to do a show on yoga um, and uh, how it ties into Vedic sciences, I was really excited because, uh, you know, we are going to connect astronomy, mathematics, philosophy, and spirituality all together in one show. Oh, and that's a lot. boy. <laughs> This is amazing because what you're about, what you're talking about sets the foundation for my guest for next Wednesday, who is like the number one top numerologist like here in the States. Uh, okay. And she, she does numbers and like, she's like really good at what she's doing. And the reason why I'm doing the show with her is because numbers is everything. I, I believe it's like a universal language for everybody. So um, that's going to be next Wednesday, but we're talking about now. Um, yeah, so I think so. that's the tie-in for, for anybody that's listening. She's a doctor. She does biotech. So that's why I want to do a shirt, a couple shirt designs to give two causes in India for COVID, so whatever the proceeds that we make, we're going to donate a percentage of the shirt sales from our merch store. Um, the merch store link is on our link tree, and it's on the page, and we're going to donate. If we make – what was I think the goal was maybe like over 1000 If we make over 1000 I'll I'll even go as low as like 250 If we do 250 sales, I'm going to donate a quarter – of that to anything, any cause in COVID that's that's vetted, and I'll put proof on Instagram and our Twitter to show that we actually did that because I don't want to be that person that's just like, oh, we did it, and no one's like, well, what happened? No, I don't want to be that person. So without further ado, okay, so Yuga, this is what happened. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. They're mm-hmm. very serious and spiritual stuff. They like very deep things. They have a guru per se. And we were talking mm-hmm. about how people were coming back from COVID and they were getting reacclimated with society, learning how to like socialize with one another, and coming out of a dark time. And she referred to Kali, and it, maybe you'll help give light to that. And then she said she was mentioning yoga, and I was like, "What the hell is a yoga?" She's like, "She's like basically it's like a cycle of." I don't know, life or how we live and how we go in and out of it. And it's like a big circle. And it's funny how I think someone else was mentioning also 
there's all these coincidences I'm finding. Like, uh, I think, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or if it was, like, some MMA fighter or some martial artist was talking about how when you master circles, and even in art, when you master circles, it makes all mm-hmm. everything more balanced. So mm-hmm. I, I know it's kind of like a weird kind of like off-tangent kind of thing, but you guys, Kali, tell us the basics, how it works, or do you want to start with the Vedic sciences and then we walk our way into yugas and the cycles and who Kali is and what that's all about, the era of Kali and all that stuff. Um, let's let's start with yugas and then we, everything ties in together. So, okay. like you said, yugas are yugas are time cycles. Uh, and yes, the word cycle is attached to it, but it is not um, just a qualitative or a quantitative time period. It is actually both. It is a quantitative time period. And you can track this by astronomy. And it's a qualitative time period wherein the quality of life and, you know, for mundane purposes, we can say life, but it's really the quality of the mind and the consciousness refined. So there are four yugas. There is Satyuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga, and Kali Yuga the yoga of Kali okay. or Kali is what you were saying. Now, these yogas, um, the way uh, they are co- codified is um, it's believed that our sun, the sun in our solar system, as a star, ha- is, in, is a binary star. There is another star or a concentrated gravitational pull in the space. Um, around which our, our sun revolves too. So are revolving around the sun. And the sun, with all these nine planets, is revolving around this second star. So it's in a binary system. And for our purposes, I'm just going to call it star. Um, at this point in time, because so much has been lost in history, it's not clear whether it's a star or a strong magnetic gravitational pull. But stars are that. They, are, they have a strong gravity, right? And that's how the planets okay. evolve. So sun, our sun has the second binary star. And its trajectory around the star is an ellipse. It's not a perfect sphere. It's an ellipse. It's like an oval-shaped path that our sun takes around the star. And the star doesn't sit directly in the center of that ellipse. It is slightly to the to off to one side. So the closer our sun and our entire solar system is to the star, the lighter the years are. The further away we are from the star, because, you know, there is an uh, ellipse or the oval path, so further away we are from the star or on the other side of the star, the darker the times get in our solar system, especially on our planet. And because we have conscious life on the, on the planet, we can see a difference in the consciousness. The difference in the consciousness, whether it's lighter or whether it's darker, is what creates a difference in the quality of life. So oh, the system, 
<laughs> no, this is, I mean, this is, um, this is like some deep shit. I mean, <laughs> this is good. Okay, keep going. So the Vedic Sith really focuses on the mind and the consciousness that takes form, right? Our body is the form. It's the physical form. But there is a spirit and a consciousness that this body belongs to. Some people call it soul. Some some people call it spirit, whatever it is. But this body is actually within a conscious conscious energetic body and the quality of this conscious energetic body is what is defining the quality of these yogas so let's you know let's get to know what each yoga what the quality of consciousness is and i'm going to start using the word dharma and dharma is also a very unique word to the indian subcontinent no other place or a religion or philosophical thought process talks about dharma. And it's harder to explain the word dharma in English um, because English, I think, is, a, in my opinion, and in, I think, several people's opinion, it, it's, a, it's a poor language. So it doesn't have a lot of words that describe consciousness or higher wisdom. Right. So there are two right so there are two ways no i mean of... it's just, it's just our language the english language i mean i speak english obviously it has <laughs> a limited way to express like feelings like there's some words that that are just we can't even say to express like different expressions yeah that mm-hmm. aren't even english it doesn't even work <laughs> like i've seen it happen like when you go to like talking to people from europe or uh there's been some some other countries where I've talked to some people from other countries and they're just saying, like, you don't even have a word for this. Like, it doesn't even make sense if I even told you. It would blow your mm-hmm. mind. So I totally right. understand where you're coming from. I understand your perspective where, when you're saying that. I do have a question. You're talking about karma. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about karma, you know how, like, people, and if, excuse my French, people are just like, oh, karma's a bitch. Or dharma is the opposite of karma. Can you clarity to that before we continue? So dharma and karma are not divorced from each other, and they are two okay. separate things. Um, okay. Uh, so I've not defined dharma yet, but let's talk about karma very briefly. In okay. In uh, how do I say it? In English, it's poorly translated as action. Uh, okay. But karma is not action. It's it's the universe trying to balance the equation out. So people who are mathematicians and have done quadratic and polynomial equations, you know that the equation needs to balance itself out. So karma is not just physical action. It is everything within you. It's your thought processes. It's your feelings, your emotions, your intentions, your inclinations. All of that are a part of karma, which moves life forward. So things that move life or time forward on this planet is is, is karma. Uh, of course, people say good and bad karma. There are, There is no good and bad karma. I'm going to burst that myth right here. We are all on this planet playing our roles. And as long as you're playing your roles, 
you are doing your karma for more or less of better way. I don't have a better way to say it. But as long as you're playing your role, whether you're being a doctor or whether you're being a policeman or a janitor, as long as you're fulfilling your role without any reaction to that role in this lifetime, the reaction itself is also karma. But all that is karma. Everything is karma. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Karma is is what it is. It's not good or bad. Karma exists. It's just a concept. There's no negative or positive emotion or or description of it. It just is. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. Karma is the okay. Yeah, and that's correct. And karma is the movement of it all, right? Movement of everything. Yeah. All the chemical reactions and biological reactions and animate and inanimate things interacting. Karma is all of it. Okay, uh, wait. It have you seen personal. Star Wars? Yes, Doctor, have you seen Star Wars. You've seen Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. A karma is like the force. Yeah. Um, karma is like the force. Mm, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I, would, I would equate the force to the higher power. Karma okay. is how the force acts in the world. That's why that word action is attached to it. But the way the force acts in the world, or way the higher power or universal power or God acts in this world, mm-hmm. that is karma. The reason why I say it's the force is because the force is what it is. Now, whose hands it gets into, and that person, what they do with it, that's something different. But the force is everything, the tree. Like like Yoda says, the tree. It's the rock. It's everything. Yeah, and that is correct, what Yoda says and what you're saying. But that's not karma. Okay. That is that is divine. That is consciousness. That is the one without the other, right? That force is the one okay. without the other. Um, it's the supreme okay. soul, or you can call it God. Uh, but it's the supreme soul or the one that doesn't have any duality. As soon as there is okay. duality, karma is created. Because as soon as you incarnate on this planet, you whether you sit in a cave or whether you're out in the world, you are a part of the karmic process, which oh, is shit. movement That's... of life. That's big. So karma is specific to Earth. Earth is a karmic planet. Uh, and karma is what bounds, binds the mind, our mind and consciousness, to the space-time continuum. It ties that particular incarnation or that particular consciousness to the space-time continuum, if that makes okay, sense. Okay, my mind is officially blown right now. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Uh, let us continue. So it's it's what is required to move this world forward. And uh, and that's why in in India, the concept of birth and death and reincarnation is a big concept because if you're not born, you won't get a chance to play out the karmas or work out your own um, individual consciousness 
and the energies associated with it, you won't have an opportunity to do that. So birth is important. So is death, because once you die, you you create space for other people or other souls to work out their consciousness. And then you reincarnate so that whatever is left over from the previous birth, you're still working through that. So it's, it's like a big chemical reaction that you're a part of. So, for example, when you're cooking and, uh, you know, you boil water, you can mm-hmm. think about the boiling of the water as one birth, and in that birth, the karma of that water was to be boiled. And then in other pans, you are sorting the veggies. You can see that as a different uh, lifetime or a life form or a different person, and they are, that, that karma is associated with sorting the veggies. But at the end of the day, when you make the entire dish, the water is used to boil the vegetables and then, you know, saute the veggies in the oil and the onions, and it comes together and makes a complete dish. But all these different components come together. You know, it's, and that, that all that action and all that means, the heating up and the cooling down and going within the pot, all that is karma. Wow. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So we're talking so we're talking down to like the atomic mass and the frequency that everything that we perceive or emit, that's all karma. Yes, that's all karma. And there's a memory oh associated God. with karma. So even atomic okay. even atoms and the vibrations have a certain memory associated with it, right? And that's why that atom is behaving like a helium versus a uranium. So there's a memory associated with it. And that memory associated with it is a part of its karma. And that's what is being worked out. That memory is being worked out in that karma, in that cycle. Wow, this is a whole nother podcast that can get started about time, space, and consciousness. Oh, what am I doing? Yep. <laughs> so that's karma in a nutshell. Uh, in, in, I don't want to confuse people a little bit more, but uh, let's get to dharma. Okay. Um, and uh, so dharma and karma are not divorced. You can use your karmas to move towards dharma. And dharma is a part of, it's not the only thing, it's a part of four purusharthas. So purush meaning the incarnated being or the incarnated consciousness and arthas, purusharthas, artha meaning what gives meaning or life to that life or consciousness. So there are four purusharthas that, that are important for life on this planet. No one thing is more important than the other, although we live in a very skewed world, and I'll explain what is more skewed than the other. The four purusharthas are dharma, which is what we are going to talk about in with relationship to yoga. Dharma, artha. Artha is uh, uh, all your values and possessions and things that you consider as wealth. It can be your family, your friends, your community, or literally wealth, resources, money. That's artha. Um, the third purushartha is kama. Kama is our desires, our, what we seek, right? It can be greed, but also pleasure desires, things that drive us in this life. And then the fourth one is moksha, which is liberation. 
you know, what liberates us or what connects us to the higher power. Dharma, the first Purushartha, is, is, is one of the four pillars, right, that is important for human consciousness. And Dharma literally, I mean, if I have to really break it down into a couple of words, is, is the truth without any illusion. It's the natural wisdom or the cosmic laws or the natural laws. But it's like truth without any illusions or maya. And that itself, we live in a world of an illusion. So dharma becomes like very hard to access right now. Oh, and, you know, in the world that we are in, and I was telling how we are skewed, we are skewed in, in that we are all living a very, a life that is driven by karma, K-A-M-A, which is desires that the third Purusharthas and Artha A R T H A, which is we are we are driven by our desires and the second thing is possessions. What do we possess? How do we get more of it? More of it. These two things out of the four pillars is right now in the world our focus. The focus mm. that's why uh, you know at some point in the Indian philosophy people started to um, pivot towards dharma and emphasize it a little bit more because for yoga, people do not pursue dharma. They are, they are very driven by karma and artha, my desires and my possessions. What do I have in life and what do I want? It is not about what I need. It's about what do I have and what do, what do I want. Oh. Wow, not about, oh, man, driven by their wants and not their needs. Yeah. Wow. Driven by our okay. desires. So dharma okay. becomes a very important concept as we are, we are right now in an ascension, and I explained to you that too. But in Satya Yuga, so the first uh, yuga, first, um, quadrant of the it's not even a quadrant but yeah the first phase of the yoga is when our solar system is closest to the binary star to sun's binary star and its consciousness is lighter and brighter so in Satyuga it's also called the golden age um, you know they say you don't need words you can to each other just with your thoughts um the spirits of the consciousness that is in, that are incarnated on earth are very refined. They are very they are connected to the divine. People have longer lifespans, running into close to a thousand years. They live longer. And uh, dharma, they say dharma itself has four legs. It's like a cow. Dharma. If you imagine a cow. And he called that cow Dharma. It's standing on all four legs. So that's Satyuga. And mm-hmm. the first time period when the solar system or our sun is the closest to this binary star. The next one, Treta Yuga, Treta means three, is when the cow or Dharma is standing only on three legs. And one of its legs is broken. 
So that means there is more corruption of the consciousness. There's darkness that has entered consciousness. Um, people are still upholding laws of the land, but things like jealousy enter, things like wanting more than I need enters the, the consciousness and wanting other people's stuff and other people's property or wives that enters the consciousness, right? What I have is not enough. I want what the neighbor also has, basically. So that is Treta Yoga, where dharma is standing only on three legs. The next one, the third darkest phase is called Dwapar Yoga. Dwapar meaning two. And in Dwapar, dharma is standing only on two legs. The cow is standing only on two legs and it's really wobbly. It's also, and Dwapar Yuga is the age of technology, age of il, il, uh, electricity. It's also the age where a lot of diseases come into uh, the population. People do not uphold the laws of the land. There's a lot of illusion. And, but there's also, also a lot of advancement in technology for that kind of, called the Bronze Age. So Satya Yuga is called the Golden Age, Treta Yuga the Silver Age, Dwapar Yuga is called the Bronze Age. And then Kali Yuga, which is what started this whole podcast. Kali Yuga is right. supposed to be the darkest uh, of all four time cycles. And it's where the, where the solar system is the furthest away from its binary stars, it receives less light from this binary star, and consciousness is at, at its darkest. In Kali Yoga, Dharma is standing only on one leg. The cow is standing only on one leg, and it is, you know, there is rampant murders, people are power hungry, uh, there is no trustworthiness. And these are all qualitative stuff that has been, you know, described in various scriptures. But you can't trust anybody. Uh, people don't eat clean food. The environment is completely polluted. Um, and, you know, people don't care about each other. They don't care about their neighbors at all. They're willing to actually cut open their neighbors if that is going to take them further. It's not just matching what the neighbor has, but it's also cutting them open and killing them. So it's at the dark. Jeez. Wow, that's very horrible. <laughs> and making uh, other people your slaves. It's not just taking their stuff, but you're, they're making, they're also making the other people your servants, basically. Um, so those are the four yugas. And uh, so we talked about dharma. And so the dharma is completely upheld in satyuga. And so it's not even a thought or a process. People don't talk about dharma a lot in Satya And the Vedas, the four Vedas that were composed, um, they were written down somewhere between Satya and Treta Yoga. But they were composed, and, you know, India has an oral tradition. They were passed down orally in Satya And there is very few, there are only, Vedas are about like a thousand verses. In these thousand verses, you will see dharma mentioned maybe a hundred times, 
was not even a thought process. So people would not even think about it. It was just natural for them to be dharmic. In uh, Dwapar, in Treta Yoga is when things started to be written down and the concept of dharma started to be introduced in the stories that were being told and in the society and how dharma needs to be upheld. And when we talk about in terms of society and we talk about dharma, what we are really talking about is how how the person in power is helping the one that is weak in terms of society. When we talk about okay. dharma in terms of individual or a person, we are talking about our individual truth, right? So, and we hear it now in, in the consciousness world or in, in the yogic world in the West, at least. We hear it where people say, oh, I'm in tune with my body, or I'm listening to my body, or I'm listening to how I'm feeling. That's actually being uh, dharmic about yourself. That's dharma or my own dharma, how I am in the world and how I present myself in the world. There is also, mm. so that's dharma or my, my own personal dharma. And then the dharma associated with people, a couple of different forms. One is, uh, how how what I do in the world affects other people. So whether I'm creating something, whether I'm making a podcast like we are doing now, um, right. whether I am making a product or whether I'm having a child in the world, whether my creation that is coming, is whether it's first coming from a place of uh, pure heart and whether this is, affecting, uplifting the world or bringing it down or taking it more into darkness. So that's dharma associated with other people. And then in a slightly higher form, dharma is also what connects us to the divine or the higher force. Um, So my actions are my inactions in the world, how do they uplift the society as a whole, not just my community or my family or my inner friend circle, but like society as a whole, how does it uplift it, empower it, and help it connect to the higher consciousness? Basically taking away illusions, not creating illusions, but taking away illusions and bringing in more and more authenticity and truth. So that's dharma in the bigger sense. And so in Satya, we don't have to really talk about dharma or it's not even a concept that you're constantly thinking about. It's like brushing teeth. It's very natural for people. They get up in the morning. They don't have to think about Mm -hmm. it or they don't have to think about their way they're being in the world. In Treta Yoga, uh, the consciousness is aligned in such a way that, uh, and that's where uh, one of the Indian epics, Ramayana, takes place where it's dharmic to uphold the boundaries or the laws of the land. And the laws of the land is the laws of the kingdom and the laws of marriage. So upholding laws is important. And by upholding these laws and principles and policies, in today's world we can say the laws of the government, right? Upholding Mm -hmm. these laws is upholding dharma because that ensures that everybody has an opportunity to get to a higher state of consciousness. And uh, it also creates an opportunity where 
there is not a big difference between the powerful and the weak. It gives everybody an equal opportunity. In Dwapar Yoga, you can throw out all the policies and the laws because even those, the human mind is such that it will find loopholes like people do when they pay taxes, right? They start to find loopholes in it. So the mind is such that it will, right? the mind yeah. is such that it will start to find loopholes because there's, there's, it's, it's vibrating at a lower consciousness. And so even upholding laws doesn't make sense. Uh, so dharma needs to be upheld whether laws are being followed or not. That means you need to, the powerful need to help the weak, whether you can help, whether those laws of the land are maintained or not. So this is the Dwapar Yuga when Mahabharata, another Indian epic, takes place, where Krishna, uh, one of the Indian, uh, we call him a god, but he was a really refined enlightened human being when he walked this planet in Dwaparyo, he made sure that dharma was upheld at all costs. No matter the karmic burden on him, because karma is the, if you do something in the world, it will create a different reaction and you have to bear the consequences of your karma, not in mm-hmm. a fatalistic way, but at the cost of burden, he went out of his way, if laws needed to be broken, broke those laws and upheld dharma, which is he, he was ready to help the weak and uplift them no matter what, you know. And you can, you can see that even now, right? You can see that examples even in the way slavery was. Slavery was the law of the land. It was... Um, it was written into the policies. It was not illegal uh, to have slaves. But in Dwapar Yuk, if that laws of the land don't make sense, it was okay to break those laws and uphold dharma, which is, you know, help the weaker section of the society to come up so that there is a balance maintained. In Kali Yuk, everything is thrown out of the door and the 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 difference between the powerful and the weak becomes so stark that it takes that you know there is no way to bridge it and those are called the really dark times does that make sense yeah it, it all makes sense so i'm just so i've been looking at these charts right so i've been looking at the charts of of everything that you're saying mm-hmm. and based upon a conversation i was having with my friend I'm wondering, like, are we ascending out of one of these? Because you're, you're talking about Dwarfer, I think, is, is the electronic age. Mm-hmm. So are we going, are we going, and then you were talking about how there were diseases and things of that nature. So I'm wondering, are we going, are we descending or are we ascending out of it? Because a lot of the okay. things you're talking about kind of resonates because, like, you know, you're talking about people being more into this, themselves, uh people with mm-hmm. power, like helping people with that don't have power. So what, mm-hmm. I don't know, where would you kind of like gauge us at as we're kind of coming out of wherever we were at, like during this okay. last like year this or is, so? Yeah. 
Okay, so this is where mathematics comes into play. Okay. Um, so if you uh, the entire cycle for the for our solar system to make a complete revolution around this binary star, to complete that entire elliptical circle around this binary star, takes 25,920 years. Oh, that's nothing. I'm like 50,000. I can do that. <laughs> so I have the math written down. So I'm not going to make a mistake here because I worked I it out right before the call. <laughs> So okay. the entire cycle, <laughs> I wanted to be thorough. Yeah, yeah, um, do it. Go ahead. So the entire cycle takes about uh, 25,920 years. Half of mm-hmm. it is 12,960 years. So half a cycle of Satyuk is out of this 12,960 years is equates to... Um, 5,184, so Satyug is about 5,000 years. Kreta Yug is 3,888, so about 4,000 years, Kreta Yug. Dwapar Yug is about 2,500 years, so 2,592 years. Kal Yug is 12,912, sorry, Kal Yug is 1,290, the shortest period of time. And so when Rama and Krishna were born, we were descending. When Krishna was born, we were descending. So we came down from Satyug to Tretayug to Dwaparyug and went into Kalyug. And when Krishna was born in India, and there are historical records, one of his dharmas, one of his life forces was to slow down the descent or to slow down um, the pace at which darkness enters the consciousness, right? So to say, for lack of better words. Um, so when so when Krishna died, his his uh, year is recorded and three thousand um, one hundred and two BCE, and we are in twenty twenty one right now. So mm-hmm. we take three thousand the and the day he died. 3102 BCE is the day Kali Yuga started. That's what has been recorded. So 3100 years plus 2021 brings us to how much? 500 and 5123 years. Mm-hmm. Kali Yuga, I said, was 1296, one half of it. If you double it, it will be 2592. So if you subtract 2592 from 5123, 5123, you get 2531. Dwapar Yog, like I said, was 2592 years long or three years long. So we, uh, we currently have 61 years. If this calculation fits, because there can be a plus minus few decades in it, this calculation fits. Um, we have about 61 years to enter Treta Yog, the second best time, which is 2082. So we are currently in Dwapar Yog. We are finishing Dwapar Yog. So we went from Satyog, Treta Yog, Dwapar Yog, Kali Yog, and started to ascend from Kali Yog, 
went into Dwapar Yuga. So we are currently in Dwapar Yuga. And then we'll ascend into Treta Yuga. So we are on the ascending side of the cycle. Ah, okay. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, so, you know, when invaders came into India, especially the Britishers, they had a lot of interest in translating a lot of Indian scriptures and Indian texts. And, uh, you know, so what Britishers did is they learned Indian languages while perpetuating English through India, translated these Indian texts into English, and then taught these translated texts back to to the natives, to the Indians in India. And mm-hmm. by then, Indians had lost their roots or their, you know, touch with their own languages. So there has been a lot of corruption introduced into text, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, in good faith, I would say unintentionally. So when you look up yogas on online, it will you come up uh, uh, by you come up on this author called Jocelyn Godwin. He was a translator and he's a musician. And he's written the book Atlantis and the Cycles of Time, and he says Kali Yoga lasts for about four million three hundred and twenty thousand years. How he got this calculation, I don't know. Random. But <laughs> uh, I've not read the Atlantis and the Cycles of Time, so I'm not going to comment on it. But uh, I can say from where the number 25,920 came from, which is the time that is required by our solar system to make a complete circle around this binary star and it came this this number 25,920 years to go through all yogas ascending and descending we can see it right now in the procession of the equinoxes so procession is p-r-e-c-e-s-s-i-o-n for those who want to look it up and it it's a concept where it's not a concept it's an astronomical phenomenon where the Earth, you know, the Earth is rotating on its axis. It's like a top that is rotating on its axis, and it wobbles. Like the axis itself is moving. If people here have seen a top, Indians play a, a lot with tops. So when you see a top rotating on its axis, the top axis keeps revolving around the smaller imaginary circle, and mm. so the procession is this axis revolving around this imaginary outer, you know, center of um, gravity, I should say. I'm not a physicist, so please don't kill me for it. Um, (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) And so the procession of equinoxes, which means, and we call it equinoxes because, you know, the equinoxes, which is the equal day and equal time, shift a little bit. That's how we are measuring it right now. Uh, because of this wobble and Earth rotation around its axis. And that shift is about the precession of the equinoxes is one degree. It processes or moves about one degree every 72 years, 71.6 oh, to be exact. 
So it's, it's slow enough that we don't notice it. And, you know, most people these days, um, or at least uh, 30 years ago, a lot of people would not live up to 72 years, right? Now people do mm-hmm. because science has advanced. So it's just a degree, a degree every 72 years. And uh, if you think about a source, so, and you can see this also in the constellation and the zodiac. The zodiac is made of these constellations. So you can see the constellation shift. And that's a circle. That's the that's ecliptic, right? It's a circle. It's a plane on which the earth rotates. How revolves around the sun, the plane around which the earth revolves around the sun. So if you multiply 72, by 316 degrees, 360 degrees is the entire degrees of a circle, right? You mm-hmm. get 25,920 years. So as the Earth and the solar system is moving through space around this binary star, going from Satyug, Treta Yug, Dwapar Yug, Kali Yug, then from Kali Yug, Dwapar Yug, Treta Yug to Satyug, you see very slowly the sky shift and you know there have been uh, there are indian astronomical texts that have mentioned two pole stars you can see two pole stars which are two different constellations and then they disappear over a period of time because you can't see them anymore it's because the earth uh, is along with the sun is moving around the star and there are records of it. Uh, we can find the records of it in a Indian astronomical text called Surya Siddhanta. And uh, entries have been made in Surya Siddhanta. Uh, it's a book on astronomy. Um, at 12,209 BC, so 12,000 BCE. We can't even imagine that time. There have been entries made and there have been like this is what we see in the sky right now. And people were very much aware of the precession of the equinoxes. And so it also brings us to the point that the ancient cultures, especially, and there are records of ancient Indians, but there have been ancient civilizations that have been very intelligent, very wise. They've been aware of astronomy. They have been aware of the sky and how that sky connects to, connects to consciousness on this planet. And that's the metaphysics of it. We are very divorced from that concept. We look at the sky. A lot of us don't even know the sky. We don't even know simple things like when is the full moon and when is the new moon. We, are, we don't look at the sky. We probably will look at an app and look at a weather. We not even walk outside and feel the weather. But People lived as a part of the entire cosmos, like it's Earth as a part of the entire cosmos. They looked and studied the sky, and they figured out how certain energies in the sky affect human consciousness. That's the metaphysics of it. And that's what brought me into astrology, too, like knowing how the astronomy connects to consciousness and evolution of life on earth per se is what like really drew me into astrology in the first place and all these concepts are tied together in astrology in vedic astrology 
So that it's like the whole rabbit hole of questions. One question leads to another and to another to you maybe find an answer. I don't know. Um, so okay, 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 so we're talking about the consciousness and how the how the sky affects people. So so all right, so it's true then. Full moon makes people crazy then. <laughs> That's a layman's way of saying it. I think full moon is when, and you know, uh, the moon is a metaphor for the mind or it represents Mm -hmm. our mind. When you talk about the full moon, it's the brightest. So the mind is more receptive to higher philosophies and teachings and gods. It's more bright, it's more willing, and it's more open and receptive. On a new moon, it is still receptive, but because the moon is dark, the mind takes longer time to connect to the truth. It's very, it takes a convoluted path instead of a straight path. So I would never call anything crazy. No, okay, no we're not talking. It just makes people on. act a little bit more irrational than normal. Is that a safer bet? Can we say that? Um. I, I I wouldn't subscribe to that. Um, people are not irrational. I think any phase of the moon can make people irrational, if if you put it that way, because it depends on how that phase of the moon is associated with your consciousness, your individual consciousness. If okay. you're born, for example, close to a dark moon, that energy will feel natural and normal to you. So it won't make you feel irrational or crazy. If you're born... Oh, wow. That's close, interesting. Yeah, if you're born closer to a full moon or a brighter moon, then that energy will feel more natural to you. It won't make you crazy. But we know that the moon, if you look at the actual moon in the sky, it creates tides in the ocean, right? This is a fact everybody can see. People living in California who can who go to the beach even during COVID times without a mask, can see that the moon creates tides in the ocean. It affects water because it has a gravitational pull on or it on on the water on the planet. And you and where do you have the most water in your body? Right? You have your body is made up of seventy two percent water. So if you think mm-hmm. that the moon can create tides in the ocean but not affect the water in your body, which is the biggest makeup of your body, I think then you're talking you're, then that's that's crazy talk. You know what? I'd never you know, I forgot about that. I never thought to put those two things together. The moon affects the water on the planet. Your body's made of seventy percent water. Why doesn't the moon affect you as well? It does. But people think, right? It does, but people think that. I just put that together. I am. Wow. Okay. I just put. Wow. All right. Uh, Yeah. You've um, answered like every question. Let's see. Um, Yeah. uh, So coming out of, I think. From what I know, what you're doing, um, with the information that mm-hmm. we have now, mm-hmm. can people put this into practice in their everyday lives so they can apply it or learn from it? 
or study themselves, their karma. Mm-hmm. What, you, what are your thoughts on that? Most definitely. I think all ancient cultures knew how to read the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew how to read the stars and the constellation, and they knew the movement. They knew the astronomy behind it and the physics behind it, right? Um, so knowing that should be like a basic elementary knowledge and not like a graduate degree level knowledge, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But just even being aware of the times and the time cycles people are in, should make a little bit more fearless, right? Um, I think the biggest, I don't believe in sin, but the biggest adharma is to instill fear in people so that they don't live their highest potential. Knowing the times and the time cycles and, and how that works and how that plays out and just having a general awareness should create a certain sense of fearlessness where people really go for it, right? And Mm -hmm. really live their best, highest potential. I genuinely believe that if people are given the freedom to just live their highest potential, there'll be a lot less evil on this planet because everybody's given the opportunity to live the best life that they can. And the thing mm. that prevents them is the fear that is created, either by other people or by systems. That fear itself is adharma, adharma. That is not. It is not dharmic. Dharma is living your life fearlessly, as if there is nothing to lose, and just going for it. And if an individual really goes for it, if, for example, you as just Ray really goes for it and lives your highest expression on this planet, not just you, but it it also elevates your friend circles, your family, your community, and then they start living a, their higher life and their higher philosophies, and they affect other people. So one person being able to do this is really important because it helps or creates a ripple effect where Everybody on the planet can live a higher life. Nobody needs to go sleep hungry. Nobody needs to starve or be impoverished or, you know, put through traumatic situations like half of the humanity is. That is, that be non-existent. So knowing that we are moving, ascending towards lighter and lighter times should give people hope that, you know, that they can really live in a way that is authentic to them and authentic to the society. All right. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just, I'm not that type of person that's like, I'm not easily blown away by people saying things or, given philosophies or how things work in life, I'm not that guy. But I'm truly blown away. Like, I, like my mind is like, blown. I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep for a while. Like, for, like real, I'm not just trying to say it to blow smoke or nothing. I, wow. Um, 
I don't I don't care what anyone says. I think this is one of our key shows for this year for this season. Um. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to glad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is a good place to end, and I'm I'm so grateful to be here, and to all the listeners out there, just Ray is a great art director. You should go and check out his Instagram page and his Twitter oh. account, and look at his art. And he is. Thank you. I'm doing some PR here, so you can give me commission for it later. And yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> And he's designing this amazing T-shirt um, with sacred geometry uh, yep. that you can purchase from the website. You can purchase no, it's, it. Uh, it's, it's going to be on Link Tree. It's on Link Tree. Our merch, our merch store. Um, there's a link there. Um, yeah, and I'm going to design it. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, I'll let so you go finish out there and buy those T-shirts. And help him in this fundraiser because the fundraiser is for a good cause. It's for a cause to help people who are suffering from COVID, the pandemic that has affected so many lives, not just health-wise, but has brought economies of the world crashing down. A lot of people have lost their jobs. There are a lot of people who don't have food to eat and they don't have food to put on their kids' plates. People can't afford to send their kids to school because they've lost their income. So it's not just health and life, loss of life, but it is also loss of livelihood. And so if you buy these T-shirts from Just Ray, um, it will help towards a noble cause. And I'm so grateful for him for doing that and having me on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you for being on the show. Uh, If anybody... uh, you know, check us out, uh, like, comment the show. Um, we're looking for more people like uh, Dr. Malini, Miss Iyer, to come on and uh, talk to us about things like this. Um, this is a really good show. Um, I, don't, I don't really know how to end besides make the sacred geometry shirts and we raise funds. And, oh, I know how we're going to end it. Two things for the listeners. Tune in next Wednesday for... Miss Michelle Arbo, the number one top numerologist in the country. And secondly, we're going to have you back to talk about biotech. I don't know if it's going to be this month or next month. We're going to have you back. You really like, like really went into detail with the Vedic sciences and the yugas, and I learned a lot more than I thought I was going to learn tonight. <laughs> so thank you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, and I'm glad this worked out. And if people want to reach me, they can look me up on Instagram. My handle is your friend Malini. It's U-R-F-R-I-E-N-D-M-A-L-I-N-I, your friend Malini. Or you can, I think my information is also on the, um, on the on page, the page yeah. where the podcast, yeah, podcast will be posted. You can also email me at Malini at cosmicartandscience.com. That's how you can get to me. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Yeah, thank you, and uh, that's it for us, and we'll see you guys next week. Be good to each other, and we're out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.